Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Thank Your Pain podcast, where we address the lessons and blessings from the painful moments in our life. Today we have Dr. Jason Leonard with us. He's been a doctor for 17 years now, which always amazes me, uh, being how young he is. And Jason has been through many different ordeals in his life that I really wanted to bring to the forefront for the male community. And the number one pattern that we've seen uh, is toxic relationships coming from a male standpoint of having in a heterosexual relationship, a female partner who um, is toxic. And so I just wanna hand it over to Dr. Jason to tell us a little bit about himself and then we can dive into those issues. So thank you so much, Dr. Jason, for coming. You're welcome. Um, we'll just, is it okay if we just use Jason from this Jason's point perfect. forward? Jason Excellent. Great. All right, thank you so much, Jason. And can you just tell us a little bit about yourself um, so the audience can get to know you more. Absolutely. So I'm 43 years old. I am a divorced single dad. I live in central South Carolina right now and um, grew up in Ohio and then came down here for residency and just never left. And uh, kind of like you alluded to, I've been through a number of relationships in the past that have not been the healthiest. You know, I can't put all the blame on my partner. A lot of that's been on me. Um, but I think it gives me some unique experience with toxic relationships, having been through a couple that, uh, each had their own kind of unique toxicities and uh, taught me some really valuable lessons. Okay. And so first you said you came from Ohio and now you're in South Carolina. That's right. And you came down to become a doctor for South That's Carolina, right. right? Right. Exactly. I did, I did medical school and then for residency, I came South thinking I would eventually move back home afterward. And I just liked it down here. And so I've been down here for 17 years now. Okay. And so when did you, when did the first toxic relationship start? Can you kind of give us a background yeah. on that? So I lived in a smaller town in central South Carolina and the first toxic relationship started there. I was fresh out of residency. I uh, was new in my job and just moved to this town where um, I was a single guy in a small town. And there was really not a, um, I really had no preparation for this. There's a lot of women that are feeling themselves actually. The first one I met was really attractive and just really beautiful. And, uh, you know, I really fell very quickly for her, probably as hard as I'd fallen for anybody. And uh, very early on, that person was toxic. But by the, uh, by the time I realized that, I was very in love. And so I put up with a lot more than I should have in that relationship. Okay. And so when we're talking about toxic relationship, what do you mean? Can you tell so, us like what happened? Absolutely. Yeah. So this was someone who was really good at lying and manipulation and uh, was not very faithful. And um, she was able to hide that very well. And it was one of those things that you, you look back and you, you think, how could I put up with that? And she just really uh, was very manipulative and very, very convincing. And, and part of it was, it was, I gave up my twenties really regarding relationships to, you know, try to do really well in college and med school and residency. And so my first real relationships, I was probably in my late twenties, early thirties at this point. And so I was, you know, here I'm dating someone who's close to my age, uh, you know, and really I'm in my, my infancy when it comes to relationships. And so I learned some hard lessons from someone who is much more experienced than I am. In wow. Wow. Okay. So because you were in school becoming a doctor, you actually, it seems like you didn't have time to date or it just wasn't in the priority list. And so the experience that you feel like you needed wasn't there. So you were in this relationship where the person wasn't faithful. They were mm -hmm. lying and manipulative. Right. When did you start noticing these behaviors crop up? Really, you know, a, a few months in, and I heard a few things the first couple of weeks in the relationship, the first month or two, and 
I kind of shrugged them off thinking this just might be a little bit of small town drama and gossip. And, and, you know, I would ask her about it and, and she said, well, no, that's absolutely not true. I would never have done this or I would never have done that. And, and so you give someone the benefit of the doubt because you think really people can't be that malicious. People can't be that evil. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't assume that things would, uh, you know, would have played out that way. And then all of a sudden you start, you know, getting this accumulation of evidence and, and, you know, an accumulation of things that you hear and you're like, wait a minute, maybe something's, something's going on. And, it was the first time I'd ever really been that in love before. And, and so you think, well, we have this great love and, and you can solve that. And so you think that I love this person enough that I can solve that. And it was really a failure on my part to kind of recognize my self-worth and, and set boundaries for myself. I just had no experience whatsoever in doing that. So here I am 29, 30 years old, you know, and I, I did have relationships before, uh, certainly did, but, but this was the, the first time I really, truly just been like head over heels in love with somebody. And, uh, learn the hard way that if you fall for the wrong person, it can really set you back. Okay. And, and in what ways did it set you back? Great. So, you know, so here is my first kind of relationship. I'm just truly, truly in love and it's really unhealthy. And so you, you begin to develop a sense of distrust with other people. You develop a distrust in yourself and your own judgment because you think, wow, I, I fell in love with someone who turned out to be such a bad person. Obviously my, my judgment and the way that I evaluate a, a potential partner is broken. And, or does that mean that I'm broken? Or does that mean that this is what I tolerate? Or is this, or is this just what's normal in a relationship? Is this just how relationships are? And, um, and so, you know, you have your experience with your parents and my parents weren't very affectionate growing up. So I didn't really kind of learn a lot from them either way. I mean, they, they had their normal arguments and stuff, but um, that, you know, it was kind of learning, you know, learning on the fly. And it, I think it really set me up for a few years of just, uh, you know, just having some unhealthy traits and having some insecurities that I shouldn't have had. Yeah. and things that you've helped me work through actually okay and I, well i love that you brought up the fact that like you you went all the way back to childhood right like our parents yeah. kind of set us up for this is what an intimate relationship looks like or you know this is what affection looks like and if you don't have uh, a basis for that or a good model sure. you you're just navigating it yourself and then for you you felt already like you were behind because i'm guessing that there's also a lot of pressure um, by the time a man is 29, 30 years old, that's when a lot of the stigma, at least for women, it's like, you're already old. Like, why aren't you having kids? Why aren't you married? Um, and I, for men, is it the same thing too, or? It is, it is. So, you know, to, to kind of circle back really quickly, so you alluded to the parent thing and, and, you know, my dad, my dad was great. And, you know, he worked really hard for my sister and for me growing up to provide and make sure that we had opportunities that he never had, but he, you know, you know, not knowing this, really learning this through you, I did have a little bit of a father wound and I won't go too much into that because I don't think that's the topic of today's conversation, but having a, a parent wound definitely influenced how I received love and, and how I, and kind of what I was able to um, tolerate for myself. And, and so, you know, I, I came in there with this kind of baseline insecurity and a little bit of mistrust and, and, and lack of judgment myself. And then I, I meet someone and that just gets totally exploited. I mean, it, it's, it's like ripping open an old wound. Um, it's definitely a weak spot. And, uh, and that's, that's right where that the first uh, person hit that. And so that's why, you know, it's like looking back right now, I'm like, I would never tolerate the things I did. If, if, if I was dating her right now and she did, you know, the things she did the second week, I'm like, you know what, we're good. I'm done. Have a nice life. But not having the ability to trust yourself to set healthy boundaries was, was such a, was such a failure on my part. It really was. And then, you know, so, so that relationship eventually ended and it took me a little while to kind of recover from that. And, over a lot of those insecurities, and those are actually still insecurities that I, I struggle to work through now. But you mentioned the the pressure to have a, have a family. 
So, you know, going through college, you're with your peers and going through medical school, you're in your same peer group. Then you get in residency and you're with your peers, generally people the same age, the same place in life. So then all of a sudden I'm out of residency, I'm 29 years old and then, you know, 30 in my early 30s. And I've had a couple relationships, you know, the one that was very toxic, a few since then, the women were great, but it just wasn't the right fit. And so now I'm here, I'm 34 years old, thinking it's really time to settle down. Everybody I work with now, I'm not with my peer group, my, my colleagues, they're all older than I am. They're married, they have children. And here I am now in my, my mid thirties, and I don't have anybody or any prospect. And so that's when you really think about settling, you know, and it, it's, you know, we had, we joked around in, in medical school, um, we had a surgery rotation. It was at the VA hospital, it was four weeks. And, uh, so it was, you, it was before they had workout restrictions on doctors. And so I remember we get there every morning at 4, 4 a.m. and you wouldn't leave till like 7 or 8 o'clock at night, seven days in a row. And so at the VA hospital where I did training, there was like one nurse that wasn't postmenopausal. Like everybody else was a male or some very old female. And you see this younger nurse that first week, you're like, ooh, man, she's not very pretty. And But that's all you see. And so like the second week, you're like, did she change her hair? She looks a little bit better this week. And then the third week, you're like, oh my gosh, she's gorgeous. And then that fourth week, you're like, she's the most beautiful in the world. I want to marry her. You know, it's just, that's all that you see. And, and, and so, you know, I'm in this small town and I'm thinking, gosh, I've just had, here I am. And, you know, I've had this string of just not healthy relationships. And then, so I got married and, uh, and what happened was, and, you know, this is in hindsight, you know, you, you don't really realize these things you're going through. Okay. So wait, pause. This is the um, same relationship with the first toxic or was this, no, which relationship, relationship is this? So this, this is a relationship. This is, I got married. So this would be the relationship with my ex-wife. Um, and, and so in this relationship, so I was in my mid thirties at this point okay. and was really feeling the pressure that you alluded to, to settle down and have a family and have kids and all that. And because I'd had that previous toxic relationship and because I dated a few other women that just were not really what I was, it just wasn't a good fit. Good woman, not a great fit. And so I really was feeling the pressure that, hey, I should be getting married. Like, all oh, my partners are married. I need to start a family here. I'm in my mid thirties. Of course, a guy can reproduce well into his, you know, advanced years, but you want to, you don't want to be that, you know, that 60 year old dad, you know, whoever thinks it's their grandparents. So, you know, you have, you have a little bit of pressure. And so when I met my, my wife, you know, again, in hindsight, it was somebody who I'm like, okay, yeah, she doesn't seem like a very toxic person. And yeah, she doesn't have these things they look for, but this is better than what I've had. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, we call it that VA effect where it's not a great fit, but compared to everything else you've seen, it's better than what it's been. And, and you, you know, I felt this pressure to, yeah, let me get married again. This is a lot of these are my, these are my faults. This is not things that, you know, she did wrong. You know, I, I was the one that felt this pressure. I was the one that had this insecurity. I, I felt like I needed to have someone in my life to feel whole. I felt like I had this void and I did not know how to feel it externally. I didn't know how to feel it internally. I had to feel it externally. And again, these are all things that, that I've done that you've actually been really helpful at helping me identify those things and, and fill those on my own so that I don't make those mistakes. I don't repeat those patterns, but that happened in, um, and then, so the marriage without going into too much detail, after about five years, it just, just wasn't working out. And so I, I told her one day, I said, hey, I'm just, I'm just kind of done. And it was funny because you told me um, the day before I told my ex-wife, now ex-wife, that I wanted a divorce um, I, and how things would have gone after that. I never would have believed it in a million years, but the divorce was awful. I mean, she, there was one time when I was playing with my little boy, we were, we, we'd, we'd agreed to separate, but had not, I had not moved out of the house yet, just for some logistical legal reasons. And so. Okay. I want to pause. I want to put a pause here because I know you're going to go into a really good story. Yeah. Just to summarize and clarify for everybody listening. 
sure. we have um, Jason, he's going through medical school, doesn't have a lot of time to date. It gets to be his late thirties before he finds someone he dates that he really, really falls in love with. This girlfriend ended up being toxic throughout the whole relationship. Um, and due to like being in love, you know, we, we kind of gloss over the red flags. The red flags are like a bouquet of flowers yes. at first. <laughs> oh, like some red flags. I think I'll take this one. Um, but eventually we stop dating that person. And we live in a small town, so it's not that there's anybody there that's really a good fit. It's the internal pressure that we need to marry someone, that we need to start a family. And, well, this person is not as bad as the last person, so I guess it's okay. And I want to really make this distinction because while the first relationship, it was toxic all throughout, it sounds like the second relationship wasn't toxic throughout. It was just not a good fit. But what you're alluding to is that once the divorce happened, that's when this person turned totally sour, Absolutely. right? Exactly. And just to clarify for everybody listening, also, he keeps, um, Jason keeps saying, you know, this is what you've helped me with. It's because he's actually one of my clients. He has given the grace to work with me for the last few months, and I'm super proud of him. And that's why I wanted him on the podcast today. So he's been so gracious to share these experiences. And now he's about to go into a story that I think many men can relate to when it comes to divorce and seeing how people change. Um, so right where he left off is he's gone through this marriage for five years. It's been okay, but it's clearly not working out. He's got a, a small son at this point, one child. Um, and, and it's in the separation phase. So back to you. So you're exactly right. So my son and I were playing in his room and his mom comes in and kind of starts you know, just kind of being a bit derogatory. My little boy, who at the time is like two and a half or three years old, kind of bows up and says, don't talk to my dad that way. And uh, so my now ex-wife snatches him up and drags him down to uh, another room in, in the house and took into the master bedroom. And my little boy, he's screaming for me. And um, so I, I walked down there. I knocked on the door. I said, hey, can I come in and, and get our son? And and she said, sure, come in. And I, I, I just kind of had a bad feeling. So I took my my cell phone right here and I took it and I just kind of dropped it right in the pocket of my shirt um, just so the camera was above the level of the phone where she wouldn't really appreciate the recording and so I, I reached across her to pick my son up stand about a good foot away and all of a sudden she grabs her arm, oh my gosh I can't believe you hit me and she's squeezing her arm and scratching her arm and trying to make her arm really red and she's preparing to call the police and tell them that I assaulted her and uh, so then she takes a swing at me and hits me and you know right in front of our son and um, and I and so I, I said, hey, look, you know, I, I'm not touching. I haven't hurt you. I haven't done anything. And, and then she grabs her and goes, oh, my gosh, you just hit me a second time. I can't believe you hit in front of her son. And, um, and so at that point, I'm like, hey, I'm recording this and kind of let her know that. And uh, she kind of really lost it at that point. And really, that kind of set the tone for the entire divorce. I really felt like, you know, I wasn't a bad husband. She wasn't a terrible wife. It was just it wasn't working out. And this could be something we could split amicably. We could we could take you know our assets and divide them. We split equal time with our son. And at least here in South Carolina, I found out how, and I think it's mostly nationwide, how pro mother the courts are. And that was really tough because you know during the during the whole divorce proceedings, you know I, I tried to you know kind of play fair and, and stay above board and not make any accusations that I didn't feel were accurate about you know issues in the marriage. And I was blindsided every time we had a custody hearing or or a settlement. It was just, I got blindsided by false accusations. And it's funny how family court is so different than like criminal court. When criminal court, you make an accusation, you have to have proof. Family court, you can just really say whatever you want. It really is 
as one attorney told me, kind of like the wild west of courts. And uh, it, it was it was really unbelievable how as a male, how disadvantaged you are uh, in that situation. I really felt like there's no reason I shouldn't be able to get equal custody of my son and, um, you know, and, and to protect some of my assets that I had before the marriage. And it was unbelievable how uh, attorneys can switch that around. And I, I had to spend probably thirty to $40,000 just on my legal de defense for the divorce, just trying to get equal custody of my son. And it, it was just, just unbelievable how skewed things were. I even used that video in court. We had this old judge and we gave it to him on a flash drive. And he just pretty much said, I don't know how to look at a flash drive. I'm not gonna be able to use this. I'm not gonna be able to look at this. And it, so that really had jaded me uh, significantly. It, so the marriage itself wasn't super toxic, but going through the divorce as a male in society was, it was unbelievable to my eyes to see how little value a man has and how as a male, you have to fight tooth and nail just to get half custody of one of your children versus a female. The worst case scenario is to get your child half the time. As a male, the best case scenario is to get your child half the time. And oftentimes it's way less than that. In South Carolina, typically the father would be with their child two or three out of every 14 days. Wow. So that's a lot. And honestly, yeah. I'm sure the audience as well as me, like my stomach is just sick hearing these things because first we have, you know, an ex-spouse who we've been married to for five years. We obviously have built some trust there. We think it can end amicably. And all of a sudden there are false accusations of you're hitting me and um, then you have proof of that. And the judge refuses to look at that evidence. Right. Shocking. Yeah. Absolutely shocking how we can call that a justice system, how we can call that a, a law system. Sure. Um, it, it's really it's really shocking and it's really disgusting. Um, well, so I, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. It's OK. Yeah. Her, Mike's wife told me, she said, my goal in this divorce is to ruin your life. I want to make sure you have no friends. You lose your job and, and your family hates you. I mean, that was her goal. I said, well, why? She was because you're abandoning me. And, um, and it really was, uh, you know. Wow. She said, because you're abandoning me. Tell you that. She, she and her attorney gave it really their best shot. Wow. And the words, because you're abandoning me. Now, I really want to bring attention to this just, just from like a coaching standpoint. And this is something that we've worked on a lot together is you know, it's really, really hard. You can't just go back in the past and change things that happened in the past, but you can change everything that you're in control of about yourself to prevent for the future, right? So right. like if we had met 30 years ago and we were learning mm -hmm. this, you probably could have avoided all of this stuff, right? Yeah. Because yes. at some point your attachment wounds matched with her attachment wounds, right? Mm -hmm. If right. when you, when we talk about the father wound and we talk about a parent wound and Mm -hmm. You know, what the father wound can create is the need to fix, the need to solve, the need to support and be there for others. Like you need to earn people's love. And mm -hmm. from, from what she just said, you're abandoning me. She needed to be saved. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was the perfect concoction of I'm good at being the savior at, yeah. at saving people, which is ironic because you're a doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then her needing to be saved and taken care of. Mm -hmm. So the second that that ended, both like that, that really triggered her abandonment wound and caused her to turn into this person that was unrecognizable. Yeah. Okay. You exactly about her abandonment wound. So when she was growing up, her parents got divorced early on and her father would tell her, hey, I have other daughters and they're prettier than you. And, and just a number of other things from a young child that I think created this wound. 
that really had not been for her exposed until the person that she thinks she spent the rest of her life with was just really unhappy. And I felt that we could have an amicable divorce. And as soon as I tried to pull away, that opened up her abandonment wound, her father wound, and, and really just uh, spiraled out of control from there. Wow. Yeah. That, and that is, that's so unfortunate when instead of addressing our own wounds, we just you know, live them out for the rest of our lives. And we blame other people in our lives. And that's why I really give so much, like, I'm just so in awe of you because, you know, going through all of these things, and we haven't even gotten to relationship number three yet, going through all of these things, you always turn towards what can I do differently? How can I change things? Taking full responsibility and and that's why you've been able to change in your life now. And those other people who aren't willing to accept personal responsibility, they're going to keep playing out these scenarios. They're going to keep playing out these wounds um, until they're able and ready and willing to, to face the fact that sometimes we actually choose these things by accident. You didn't choose those things on purpose, but at some point you were a match for those things. Absolutely. I now do. that you're changed. You're, you're no longer a match. Like you said, you're like, I would have never dated that person now. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, lie. it's taken a lot of hard work to get from where I was then to where I am now. I mean, uh, it's, it's really been a lot of counseling. Like I mentioned a few times, you've been a, a huge help and helped me identify these things because, you know, I, I know a lot about medicine, but I guess the psychology and the relationship stuff, sometimes I'm just in awe of how little I know. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, and, you know, so I'm really happy that, that we've met and you've been coaching me because it's been really eye-opening to the two to some blind spots that pattern. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that, that I approach things these ways or an article you would give me would really give me a lot of insight. And, uh, and so here I'm in my, now my early thirties, excuse me, early forties. I wish my early thirties here, my <laughs> early thirties. And uh, just kind of figuring out stuff that I should have figured out, you know, a decade or two ago. Well, you know, I also believe that we figure things out at exactly the right time. I know that you don't feel that way. Obviously we wish we could go back in time and like have all the knowledge of the world. Right. But, you know, I, I truly do believe that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, and I would love for you to also, just because it's very relatable, um, if you feel comfortable talking about some of like the insecurities that you have about that and like that you've shared with me. And because I think other men can really relate. Absolutely. So, you know, I think, you know, growing up with a little bit of a father wound. Um, and again, my father didn't beat me or anything like that. He wasn't a bad father. It's just there's some 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 things that just you know with, with uh, family dynamics that created that wound and um he you know that really it, it really threw off my judgment and it really kind of impaired my ability to kind of trust myself um growing up and, and just to delve in a little bit you know I have one sister she's younger and growing up no matter what she could do no wrong and I was always wrong like you know the literally the entire time growing up and and I, again I don't I don't blame him for that because I don't I think he did the best he could um, you know, he grew up without a dad. And so I think, he, you know, he did the best he could. And he had a lot of great strengths, but, but nonetheless, I had this wound where I'm just not used to trusting any of any of my judgment or any of myself. And so then I meet this person that, you know, that, that first kind of significant adult relationship um, was the one in my late twenties, early thirties. And um, that I spoke about first and you start seeing these, these red flags, but you don't trust yourself. And you think, well, here's someone who tells me that they love me and, and they're using words to say how much they love me and how great they are and how great they feel I am. But then their actions don't match up with that. But, but I don't trust myself in that regard. So let me just keep going because I'm going to have to, I'm going to believe what they say. And then eventually, you know, as that relationship got more toxic and is that kind of near the end, um, you know, she would, she would become kind of very verbally abusive. 
and, and say things that would really stick, you know, because again, here you are, you're an insecure person. You tend not to believe compliments, but you tend to uh, really, you know, put on a criticism. Mm. And, and I really had done that in that relationship with her. And it took, you know, counseling to go through and say, okay, well, she told you this about yourself physically or emotionally how you were, but does that stack up with the evidence of how that relationship went or how relationships have gone with other women in the past, you know, after that? And when it, then you realize, well, if you look at this from a, from a higher level, third party kind of non-emotional standpoint, well, no, it doesn't match up. And so you have to kind of, number one, let yourself heal from the emotions. And then number two, be able to take an objective look back and think, yeah, that was just someone being mean and toxic, not, you know, just trying to hurt you. Do you feel comfortable sharing some of those insecurities that that relationship created? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, like how, like how much of a, like, obviously, you know, the whole, the whole background, is there any, any area you want me I to- I don't want to share anything that you feel like that you, that would make you feel uncomfortable. Sure. I just, you know, like, because in society, men, like men and women both have stigmas mm -hmm. against them. Oh, yeah. um, but when we're talking specifically about romantic relationships, mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of like men should pay men should, you know, be the strong one that don't mm -hmm. cry, but also yeah. like, you know, they should be good in bed. And like, you know, there's, there's so much stigma around this. And I know in that particular relationship, she said a lot of mean and nasty yeah, things to you that like created, yeah. and this was something for everybody listening that we really had to work on. There's, there's something called the table of beliefs, right? Where a huge, like a big event will usually create uh, a solid belief in our life. And then we will look at other things to confirmation bias that. So mm -hmm. Jason had a huge relationship wound from this relationship mm -hmm. because it was his biggest relationship at this point in time. And she said a lot of mean things to him that, you know, followed through as an insecurity into the other relationships. And that's why I'm just wondering if you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, so one of the things you attack, you know, I'm, I'm thin, but I'm not, you know, I don't have a dad, Bob, but I'm, all, I'm not, I don't have the, this, this best, this great physique. You know, I'm just kind of a thin, a thin guy. And, you know, and some of the guys that, you know, she would cheat with uh, would be these really muscular, just really well-built guys. The town I lived in was a military town. So there's several of these just kind of really well-built, you know, military type guys. And so she would always talk about how nice it was to have someone with this really nice physique or just kind of the way they looked and, you know, and, and, and those type of, of things that, you know, and she would try these details as possible to make it really specific to make it hurt. But when she would make those, those physical comments, I'm like, wow, maybe I don't have a lot of self-worth. And, and so it, it makes you kind of tolerate a little bit more. Number one, I think it makes you tolerate more stuff because you feel like, well, this is the best I deserve. Um, or, and, and also it hurts you going forward in relationships because it just makes you uncomfortable to take your shirt off around someone or, you know, feel like I need to be more muscular, uh, you know, stuff like that. And that, and so then when, you know, when you're in the bedroom and you're trying to be romantic with someone, you take your shirt off, like, oh, well, I mean, you know, how do I compare, you start to get in your mind, well, how do I compare this person's last boyfriend? How do I, how do I compare physically? How, how do they like things? And, and so that, you know, those kind of very damaging wounds had that impact, you know, intimately in several of my future relationships. Wow. Yeah. And that like really, you know, it hurts me because, you know, obviously I've been working with you for a long time now, but if anybody's like, if you're just listening to this, but if you're watching this, like Dr. Jason is not uh, an ugly guy. He's a handsome man. He, and he, to think that he has gone through, you know, like 20 years thinking that, you know, because of what this one relationship had instilled in him, like oh, like, I wish you were more muscular or wish you were this. And, you know, you would be better if you were this. And now, now this handsome, perfectly capable man has this insecurity because 
uh, of this damaging relationship, I really want to like put it out there, like how toxic and damaging these relationships can be to our psyche and how we are in relationships, because that then carried on even still into your, into your next relationships, right? It did. Absolutely. It did. Sure. And so that brings us to the third relationship that I'd really yeah. like you to, to talk about and, and kind of explain. Yeah. So this was probably my most, you know, maybe one of the more toxic relationships I've had and it, and, and it kind of squeezes in, in between the two, but, but we'll talk about this. And I think it's probably the biggest one is that, that, so, you know, I didn't, I, this was the one that I really kind of had to grow up with. And, and this is a relationship that, that showed me, Hey, you need to fix these insecurities and these issues with you talking about me personally to have healthy relationships going forward, because, you know, here's somebody that's kind of relationship three, um, was someone who I thought this is a very healthy relationship and things, you know, started out very, very good. And then, you know, someone says, you know, you don't really know someone until, you know, it's always, you can always be, things are always easy in a relationship when, when life's good. It's really when you get those faults and, and you get to fight and, and you've hurt each other because everybody hurts everybody. I mean, it's just, you, you hurt somebody else. And, and I was again, not perfect in any relationship and I still haven't been. And, and, you know, I made some mistakes in this relationship three, early on that damaged this relationship. And it really turned someone who I thought was a really good, mature, good fit for me into someone who just became very, very toxic. And, and, but again, I had these insecurities that I had not worked through. And so I think, well, I made a mistake so I, I can tolerate this, you know, a, a great example, um, you know, and it kind of shows at least societally the kind of the differences between kind of what's acceptable for men and what's acceptable for women. You know, again, I mentioned a divorce, kind of the worst case scenario for a woman is to get, you know, half of half time with your kid. That's the, the worst case. In the best case, it's always more. It's almost always more. And uh, and then for the man, the absolute best case scenario is to be able to see your child half the time. Um, you know, and so kind of the same thing here is in that in this relationship, you you think, you know, what's acceptable for a man, what's it for a woman? And there were there were two different times in the relationship that we got in a fight. Uh, argument and it turned physical never on me I've never hit anybody before but but twice I got punched in the face two totally separate times and you know you know number one I felt embarrassed to talk about it. this is really the first time I've talked about that um, with anybody because it's other than I mean just with you because you know number one you want you don't want to go tell your friends that and say hey you know I just got hit by so and so what you know because it's just like what in the world and uh, and then you know it happened twice and you think well you know and this person's excuse was well I felt like I had to do that because of what you had done to me in the past. You know, you, you know, because you know, I'm not perfect. I came with insecurities and, and issues in relationship. And so I was not the best, healthiest partner. Um, but it was always, well, your actions earlier trigger me to do this. I did this. I took this action because you had done this a month ago or, or three months ago. And so it really became, well, okay, maybe I, I guess I deserve that, you know, but it was, you know, now talking about it, it's completely embarrassing to talk about because I, I don't think that that we, you know, that guys normalize talking about stuff like this. I don't think it's something we normalize. Because number one, it's embarrassing, and uh, and number two, I think it's also uncommon for guys to have a really good group of guy friends to to talk about things with. And so I think that is um, is something as well. Right. Right. And that's why, once again, I really commend you for having the guts to come on here and talk about these things, like. Because there are so many men listening to this right now 
who have gone through the same thing and they feel embarrassed and mm -hmm. it's nothing to be embarrassed about. I am so proud of you for sharing that because so many men experience it and they don't know what to say yeah. they, because, and it's ironic because society has made it. So it's not, it's not even necessarily women shaming other men. It's other men shaming other men, mm -hmm. right? Like, how could you let your girl beat you? How could you yeah. let, you know, like, what do you mean? Like stop being a pussy. Like it's all of this mm -hmm. negative stereotypes, but yeah. It, it's not about letting someone abuse you. It's not about letting someone hit you or they're stronger than you. It's about the fact that abuse in a relationship should not exist. Sure. And, you know, that's what we really had to work through together as I was explaining to you, because for everybody listening, you know, like if, if you have been in a toxic relationship, abusive relationship, you will understand that it's not like you just allow someone to abuse you. It's something that usually happens over time where you've already built up trust you've already built up a foundation of love mm -hmm. and it can happen so sneakily that you start to think it's your fault you start to think you're crazy you don't recognize it as abuse and so like mm -hmm. jason said there you know like in a relationship they he had made mistakes earlier on um but i also just because i know the story more intimately want to emphasize that you can make mistakes in a relationship and not have it escalate to abuse. So Jason had made his own mistakes in a relationship that are easily talked about, like easily worked through by talking about it. And she had just felt so hurt because once again, if there's one dysfunctional person in a relationship, there are two dysfunctional people. We are a good match for that person at some point. So she had had some underlying issues that didn't come out until he had made these mistakes. And she became so um, upset that she inflicted physical abuse upon him. Mm -hmm. It's not okay. Right. Um, it's not okay, you know, like to lose your cool so much that you abuse your partner. You, you can't just use an excuse as like, well, you did this to me, so I'm, I'm going to do this to you. That's, it's not okay. Um, but when you're in that situation, you think it's your fault. You think, well, I deserved it. And that was part of the healing that we really had to work on together was just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you deserve to be abused. Right. And recognizing it for what it is, is abuse, because it also took a long time for you to tell me this, um, yeah. to clarify for everyone. Um, we did not start coaching until like the third relationship and you were in the relationship still. Um, and my goal with coaching was not to get you out of that relationship. I didn't know any of this was going on. It was, Hey, let's heal these things within ourselves so that we can see where we can either the relationship will mend and grow together because you'll be a better partner spouse or if it's not meant to work out it won't work out because you'll start to separate you know if you can't grow together sure yeah it's it's, it's been amazing how much i've grown in the last couple months you know, you know I, i'd probably say that you know since going through my divorce and going to counsel with you it's, it's been the most most i've grown i feel like i'm finally able to like have a healthy adult relationship at this point because up until then you know i, I don't know that i could have yeah i mean you you have done so much work but it and for everybody listening, that's, that's the thing, right? It's like, you have to be able to own up and say, like, I'm, I'm willing to do this work. I'm willing to, you know, I asked you yesterday, like what, what actually made you take the leap and jump? Cause, yeah. um, we, we actually found each other on TikTok, and you mm -hmm. have like over 50,000 followers on there. And I had at the time, like 2000, I think. So I was amazed that you were even willing to talk with me if I'm going to be honest, but yeah. you did. And then now your whole life is different. That's right. I remember I made a comment on a post you had, and then you wrote back and said, well, what do you, you kind of just asked me a question back. And then we started chatting and, and you said, Hey, well, 
why don't you sign up for one of my coaching seminars? You know, it's a, I can't remember how much it cost, um, but it was, it was an hour or 75 minutes. And um, so we, we met and, and I was a little bit nervous about it, honestly, but I, I figured for 99 or 150, it was whatever, like a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. For, for it was like, and for an hour, hour and a half of my time, like, what do I have to lose? You know, because here I am, you know, you know, early forties at this point, I've, I've done nothing but fail at relationships. And I feel like I, I do a, a good job as a, as a dad and a good job as a doctor, but you know, a pretty terrible job at relationships at this point. And so I need to do something differently. And, and it's time to, it's kind of time to own that. And so I said, let's have a session to see. And we connected so well in that session. I was still like, well, it's an investment and I'm paying alimony right now. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford it, but you know, I, I just, I, I felt we connected. I said, you know, let me just take a leap of faith. Let me just, let me just try this, uh, you know, for a month or two months and just see how this goes. And, um, you know, because again, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Everything I have tried in the past had not worked. And, uh, and so I need to do something different. And it was, it was really one of the best decisions I've made because it's helped me identify a lot of wounds. It's helped me be, be better. It's helped me really, um, really just, I think, become the best version of myself that I can be. But I, but, but I tell you, it was, it, it's been a long road. It's not been easy, you know, but you got, I mean, you got to really be ready to, to, to face some facts about yourself and to do the hard work. I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> You've done so much work, like for everybody in the, who, who's listening, it, like you said, it, it's not easy. It's not like, cause there are action items that I give you every week. And it's sure. not like those are hard. Like mm -hmm. the action items are not hard. What's hard is like he said, facing these things about ourselves and the fact that we do attract toxic relationships mm -hmm. and, and a side effect of being wounded is we can become toxic from that. Absolutely. That that's another thing too is like, you know, when I was learning how to heal myself and with my counselors and everything like that, um, I realized that I was doing toxic behaviors because I was wounded, mm -hmm. right? So when you face these things, not only are you like becoming a better partner and learning these things about yourself, but you're also really like stopping your own toxicity in relationships. Yeah, absolutely, because you know. You know, you know, if, if, you, if everywhere you go, you smell shit, it's time to check the bottom of your own shoe. You know? <laughs> That's so, such a good quote. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of had to like check my own shoes at this point and, and realize that, Hey, you know, a lot of what I tolerate and a lot of what I go for is because of this, these insecurities that I have from childhood. And, you know, again, I, I grew up with a pretty relatively normal childhood. I didn't think I'm not somebody with a father wound. I mean, you know, my parents were together for 35 years. And I mean, just, I grew up in like a the, kind of the typical, you know, family of four house. We had dogs and cats. It was just very normal. And, uh, and so you don't think, Oh, I mean, I didn't, my dad didn't beat me, you know, he didn't abandon us when I was two years old. So I think, well, I don't, I'm, I don't have a parent wound. I can't be someone with a parent wound. And what you have to realize is that there are a lot of different ways you can have a parent wound and you can have insecurities from childhood. You know, it doesn't have to be that, that one of your parents has left or was physically abusive or verbally abusive. They can be absent for you or that, you know, they can, they can give such favoritism to one child that it makes you just not understand why you what's wrong it just you don't grow up with a sense of self-worth and value and so that was my case and so i started seeking this from relationships and so you know i would i would be attracted to these people that were kind of toxic and kind of codependent and, and kind of needy and that would come in and just fill that that void right away i'm like oh i'm finally complete and then you know as that relationship would fail i'm like well here comes that void back let me instead of getting the, get the relationship and taking time to figure out who i am let me just fill it with somebody else you know, and just, and that one wouldn't work. Oh, let me put somebody else in because here's someone that's available. Not let me take my time, be picky, be choosy and, and, and really just be alone until you find the right person. And, you know, I think if I'd known that when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, I, I would have 
save myself a lot of money and pain and heartache, but, but, you know, it's better late than never. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I just want to highlight because you went from, you know, feeling super, super insecure, kind of like about everything, like the yeah. confidence and in the bedroom and the body and, um, for everyone listening, you know, like that's something that we really had to work on also because the third relationship you were still in when we started talking and then all of a sudden you came back the next week and you're like, okay, we broke up and I'm going to do it for good this time. Yeah. And at that point, you also saw an extreme escalation of events. So we don't have to go into that if you don't want to, yeah. but I do want to highlight how hard it was for you to yeah. really stick with that because yeah, this person you really loved and mm -hmm. they really checked off a lot of boxes, but everything. yeah, it's like every box was checked. It was just, there were some boxes that, you know, you don't want, you know, it's fine. Like, wow, you can find someone who has every box you check, but then you're like, well, yeah, but then there's some other things that, that, uh, that they have that are not good things. And, uh, so, but, it, but, you know, it's one of those things like you have helped instill like, Hey, you can do better. And if, you know, if not, then you just need to wait and the universe will show you who's meant for you. And, uh, you know, I've had to kind of trust in that process and use this time to really work on myself and who I am as a man. Right. And your self-confidence as a man has like skyrocketed, you know, like something that we're still working on to like really get you amped up. But like yeah. you have, you, you know, you used to point out all of your flaws mm -hmm. almost like as a warning sign. So like, Hey, yeah. I'm this, this, and this, and I don't, you know, like, if you like that, then, then here I am. But now you're yeah. like, Hey, like, I know I have value. I know what I bring to the relationship. And mm -hmm. like, now I'm scoping out, is this person good enough for me? Like now I have a checklist, like yeah. looking for something instead of saying, oh, this is just good enough. I, I think a shift that, you know, I'll have in dating is that is going from, you know, when you're on a date with someone, you're sitting there, it's like, well, how can I impress this person? How can I sell myself to this person? That's always kind of been versus I think going forward in the future, it's going to be like, okay, is this person me what I'm looking for? Like, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm not going to sell myself to this person. I want them to sell themselves to me. Like, okay. Oh, you said that. Nope. That's not what I'm looking for. And I really ignored that a lot in the past because I was just so consumed with selling who I am. I didn't really consider who they were. That's amazing. That's, that's yeah. such an amazing shift. Mm -hmm. So um, we've gone through so many of uh, those relationships and what, what's in the future for you now that you're in this place, what are you, what are you looking at? Like what's next? You know, I, I, so, you know, I'm happy in my career, you know, I'm happy with my, with my son, um, you know, I'm redoing my house. I'm happy with how that's going, but I, I think really the next thing is just making sure that I'm patient, uh, and waiting for the next person. I, you know, I, I think I have a lot of healing to do still, um, before I jump into that relationship. Um, but I think that that's really my goal is to just do everything that I can to make sure that, um, you know, that it's right, you know, because I, I again, I've always, I mentioned for a lot of time and that divorce is incredibly expensive, you know, a lot of money emotionally that too. I remember getting out of that divorce thinking, I mean, that was like having cancer or just like losing an arm. I just, it was such a hotly contested, just gruesome divorce. And just, just, I really, really was shooken awake by how hard it is to be a man in the, in the legal system, at least in the family court system that, um, you know, that, that took me a little while to recover. And so, you know, at this point it's, it's being comfortable with myself. You know, one of the things I've learned to do is kind of like take myself out on dates where, you know what, Hey, I'm going to, I don't have anything I'm going to do today. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to go take myself out to dinner and just be comfortable in, in my own skin. And that's not something I had been able to do um, until we started coaching because I had this insecurity that I wanted to fill externally. And now I'm able to fill it internally. 
And uh, so that means that when I'm in the next relationship that I'm in, it's going to be healthy. It's going to be somebody that I feel meets my needs, not that I can meet her needs. So I guess well, that you can meet your needs together, but just not only you're meeting her. needs. Exactly right. Yes. That's yes. At least in the initial phase, like, you know, date one, date two, date three, I'm seeing you check my boxes, not trying to make sure I check yours. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay. And so So just kind of, just, just kind of continuing what, you know, the sessions that we have weekly, um, continuing to um, just be comfortable myself and realize that, um, you know, just kind of realize your self-worth and your role as a male. Um, one of the other things I think is, is cool. I'm trying to kind of deepen my relationship with my male friends and, you know, have people that I can kind of talk to and confide in. So I think that, that women, you know, it's funny, like you talk to women and they tell their girlfriends everything. And as guys, you know, we typically don't, like we might, you know, talk about some sex fact or something like that, but it's, you don't really get into that. Man, we had this fight and I, I think I did this and was I right? Was I wrong? Was that appropriate? She said this, what do you think about that? I don't think that's really normal for guys to do that. Well, I think it's incredibly just commonplace for women to do that. And so, you know, I think one of the things I'm trying to do is also kind of deepen my male friendship so that, you know, I have a good sounding board and I have people to bounce ideas off. And you, you've been great with that, but it's nice to have that, you know, with your circle of friends as well. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that up too, because that's actually something I was going to bring up this next week is yeah. Having, um, the importance of having male friends, like male to male, mm -hmm. like I obviously am not a male, even though I'm a men's coach. Um, so I can be really good for helping determine boundaries and like, where are the gaps? Um, but at a certain point, men need to be able to communicate with each other and develop that bond between mm -hmm. like your brothers. Mm -hmm. So group coaching is actually in the future, which awesome. I, I'm excited to kind of get you into that and, and every other uh, male in there, because also when you're going through this one-on-one -on -one coaching, you're very aware, right? It's not just like a random group of men who don't know what's going on. It's like you have a foundation now mm -hmm. so that you can talk about these things and feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but that being said, as we kind of close out, do you have any like last minute words of advice or things that you would say to men who might've been in your position before who are, you know, like on the fence about making yeah. a change or like if they should seek help for their relationship? You know, it's funny. So, you know, as a physician, when I was going through my divorce, my attorney said, you know, you need to go to counseling. I said, well, I'm, I'm handling things fine. Why do I need to go to counseling? He said, it, he said, it's good optics for the divorce. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll go to counseling. And I started, I started going to counseling. And this is before we met, but I didn't realize how much I needed counseling or how helpful it was um, until I kind of was forced to do it. Not really forced to, but until, you know, my attorney, he, he, if he would have said, you know, you need to get a tattoo, a neck tattoo or a face tattoo. <laughs> Because of your son, I wouldn't have gotten I had a Mike Tyson tattoo on my face. If that would have worked, have custody of my son. So I, so I really wasn't forced to, but, but, you know, you do it. And I was like, wow, this is so helpful. And so I think my advice to men is if, if you're struggling out there and, and everything you've tried, you're kind of like, like I was, you're, you're in these patterns where you're repeating bad relationships or the relationship you're in is, is not fulfilling. You know, it's easy to blame your partner. It's easy to say, oh, it, it's their fault. It's their fault. Or, you know, I, I, I just picked bad people, but you know, there's Jordan Peterson. He's a, uh, he's a counselor. I overheard say something the other day. It's like, if something happens three times, it's you, you know, three more times it's on you, you know, first time. Okay. You know, that's on them. Second time in a relationship. Yeah, maybe the third time or more that's, that's on you. And so I, I think, you know, if, if you're a guy out there and you're going through relationship struggles or you, and whether the relationship you're in or in, in your past, I don't think you have anything to lose by, by reaching out for help because clearly what you're doing is not working. And it, and I'm really happy that I happen to, you know, make a TikTok comment on one of your videos and, and, uh, and, you know, we've developed a great relationship since then, um, because I, you know, I think I mentioned, it, I, like, I don't know where I'd be right now if, if I had not had this type of, of coaching, 
and these type of experiences that, that, we, that you and I have had together. And, um, you know, again, and so it's nice having a, a friend to talk to, but it's also nice saying, hey, at least I had this experience this week. And you can really reframe that and say, well, well let's talk about that. And why did you feel this way? Or why did you handle it that way? And so it's really kind of nice doing that. But it's going to take hard work. You know, one of my favorite shows I watched on TV was called The Last Dance. It was that ESPN series with Michael Jordan. I think it's on Netflix now. And, it, and you see how hard he has to work to be Michael Jordan. And, you know, I also watched an interview with Michael Phelps. And, and the woman said, well, what makes you Michael Phelps? And he said, you know, most swimmers swim, you know, competitive swimmers swim six days a week. And he said, but I wanted to be better. So I, for five years, I swam seven days a week. And you know, he said, and that gave me that extra day a week compounded over years, gave me the edge. And so he's like, when I won the Olympics, I would not touch these guys by a tenth, a hundredth of a second. He said it was that extra day over years that did that. So the, the point of that, you got to do the hard work. You got to put in the extra work, the extra time. You, Michael Jordan had this incredible work ethic. Michael Phelps, these people that are successful in life, it, it's, they're not born that way. You know, Michael Phelps didn't show up in Michael Phelps. Yeah, he has some genetic gifts, but the dude worked his ass off. Same with Michael Jordan and, and any great athlete. It's just, you got to really work at it. And so I think if you want to be a great version of yourself, you want to be the best version of you and have the best life you can have, you're not just going to wake up, go out of bed, and it's going to happen. you got to really, really work hard at it. And, and I think anything in life worth, worth having or worth doing it is going to be hard work. And, and, and you, know, you know, I saw something that said, at the end of, you know, list the things of the people you love the most in your life. And when you make that list out, where do you put yourself on that list? And, you know, I remember I did that. I, didn't, I wasn't even on the list. And, uh, you know, and so, but the, the, you are who you're going to be with your entire life. And so you got to get that right. Because if that's not right, nothing else you do in your life is right. You know, garbage in, garbage out. So, it, you know, so if I can't fix myself, I can't be good for anybody else. And I'll repeat these toxic patterns. So my advice to guys, it's a, a long answer to a short question, but it's, is seek help. Is I think that it really can, can change your life. Something very, very small, like meeting with Elise or having a great life coach can really change the trajectory of your life. And you've been just awesome. At least you've been great. And I really appreciate all your help. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, just being an advocate for men, getting on here and having the guts to, to make a stand and, and to say these things, because I've talked to other people before and they're not comfortable. And that that's, you know, like no hate, no hatred towards them or anything like that. But I'm just so happy that you decided to do that. Um, and how cool is it now that actually as our relationship has evolved uh, for anybody who's listening, not sure at the time you're listening to it, but I've just relaunched a new program and Dr. Jason is actually going to be working as part of the new program, helping these men medically um, assess their stress levels. Um, so when you do coaching uh, with me, you get Dr. Jason as well, a medical professional assessing your stress levels and actually analyzing the beginning of coaching versus the end and seeing how it legitimately lowers your stress, lowers your cortisol. Um, we're not sure yet of the exact tests that we're going to add in there, but you get a doctor also when you join this team and he went through, he's gone through the program. He's still going through it. And now he's being an advocate of it. Um, and I just think it's so awesome that, you know, we get to work together in this capacity and, and that you're being an advocate for men and, and helping in that journey. So I just appreciate you for being here. Um, thank you everybody who is listening right now, who's watching and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks.